uh, turn your Bibles to Psalms 120. I'm beginning today a series. I'm really excited about this. The more I've studied and gotten ready for this series, the series on the 15 Psalms, <coughs> the Psalms called the Songs of Ascent. Uh, we looked at one of these a couple of weeks ago, and I'm, I'm going to try to cover, uh, go through all of them, starting in chapter 120 of Psalms, and they go through chapter 134. I'm, going to, I'm not going to promise, but I'm going to try to cover one each Sunday, the whole psalm. That's right. There's not very many verses. If you remember from our last introduction, it was uh, in these chapters, these 15 chapters, it says at the beginning in the, in the Bible, it says a song of a sense. If you have the King James, it may be translated a psalm of degrees. But this was a, a book they would have gathered of 15 songs that the children of Israel would sing on their way as they traveled up to the, to the temple that was on top of the Mount Zion above Jerusalem. We talked about that on that day, that it would have taken most people more than two days to walk there. Three times a year at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we know as the Passover, at the Feast of Weeks, which we would recognize as the celebration in the spring after the harvest when they bring all their tithes and offerings. And then the third festival would be the Feast of Tents, or sometimes called the Feast of Booths. These three occasions, all the people of Israel would journey together and walk and climb that mountain up to the temple, 3,400 feet above the normal elevation, 45 miles walking straight up on a winding dirt road. And if you can just kind of imagine this in your head as your family starts out on the road, and you're the farthest away, like that'd be Shane and Morgan, okay? They're the farthest away coming here, and they start on their own, way out there in Warrington, and about part of the way, you know, my family fall in with them, because we're next, probably. And, and there's like two families, and then another family fall in, and another one. And so this crowd is building on this two-day journey up to the mountain, to the temple, where the Lord, where you're going to go meet with the Lord. And as they're going, they would begin to sing, and they would sing these 15 songs. So I've entitled this series that I'm about to start, Songs for Singing on the Way to Church. All right. So these were the songs that they would sing as they traveled upward going to the house of God. Let's look at Psalm 120, the first one. In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. Woe is me, I dwell in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This first psalm in this book is a song about being far away from the church, far away from this place where you meet with God. I'm going to do this a little different today. I'm going to start in verse 5, if you'll look there with me, where he cries out and he says, the psalmist, the singer, says, Woe is me, I dwell in Meshach, I dwell among the tents of Kedar. He starts out in this song by singing this, these words, Woe is me. And he's saying, I am far from the house of the Lord. This word woe is only found in the Bible in this location. 
It's found nowhere else. This Hebrew word is many times translated as the word oh, like you would cry in despair, oh, it's me. I do that a lot. I'm a whiner. I admit it. I just don't talk to my wife about it. But I, I cry out a lot, oh, or, or oh my, what's going on here? But this word woe is to take the word oh and add the <laughs> W to it and make it woe, and it has in it the connotation of crying. That's the only note I could found, find on it. It's to say oh, but add W, and it connotates that it comes from tears. It comes from a lamentation to be somebody who's broken in spirit, who's crying out to God. And what this song is about, he's saying in verse 5, literally, woe is me, I'm far from church. I'm a long way away from the place where you get to meet with God. And so you could say that this song is a song about being far away from church, and it has in it the anticipation of getting to finally go to church, the anticipation and hope of getting to go to church and experience the presence of God and experience sacrifice and finding peace with God. So he starts out the song, Woe is me, in verse 5. Imagine the congregation gathered together on that dirt road up the mountain to Jerusalem, to the temple, and singing a song that starts like this, Woe is me. Look at verse 5 more. He says, I dwell in Meshach. I dwell among the tents of Kedar. These two places, Meshach and Kedar, Meshach is the furthest north that the psalmist probably would have known at that time. It would have been up north near Turkey towards Russia in direction. And then Kedar would have been down as far south as you could go towards Egypt and where they had came out of Egyptian slavery. The question is, when he says in verse 5, I dwell in Meshach, far north, and I dwell in Kedar, far south, is he saying I live in both places at the same time? No, he's obviously not saying that. It's a very metaphoric and poetic statement about as far north as you can go and as far south as you can go and all these places in between, it is difficult if you're far from the house of God. That's what he's saying. It's hard to live when you're far from the place where you've been meeting with God and living with God and experiencing God. And so it means that all who are far from the place where you belong, that's what church is supposed to be, a place where you belong, a place where anybody can find a sense of belonging, a place where anybody can come and experience the presence of God, a meeting with God, a forgiveness from God. A peace from God. That's what the house of the Lord is. When it prescribed those three festivals in the Old Testament, I'm not going to read them today. I will at some point, I'm sure. But in Exodus and Deuteronomy, when it told Israel to keep these three festivals and make this journey that the Jews would have called it a pilgrimage, make this pilgrimage three times a year up to the mountain, up to Jerusalem, and up to the temple. When it is stated in Old Testament scripture, it doesn't say come to the house of God. It says, come before the face of God. That's what it says. Come up here and enter in before the face of the living God, where God dwells. Been living far too long away from church. Far too long. Let's look at verse 6. He says this, that he has been too long. He says, my soul has dwelled too long with one who hates peace. 
underlined in the Bible is the word too long. I've been here too long. Where? Far away from church. It's been so long since I've been to church. It's almost like you say in this cry, in this song, I can't wait to go to church. He says in verse 6, I'm here with this people who hate peace. They hate peace. They don't get along. I'm hanging out with this group of people. They don't get along. Nobody's nice to you. Nobody cares about you. Nobody likes you. Certainly, nobody loves you. It's all fussing and discord and arguments and accusations. These people, you could say, they can, you heard this, they can argue with a signpost. That's what he's saying. I'm in this group of people, and there is no peace. They hate peace. Look what he says in the end of verse 7. They are for war. They, they not only hate peace, but this group of people I'm around now, they are for war. All they want to do is fight. All it seems like they're trying to do is kill me and destroy me. I read a quote last week from Abraham Lincoln, the President of the United States. He made this statement one time that the only ground between two people who are fighting is battleground. The only ground you have in common if you're two people who are fighting is battleground. The ground where you are fighting is the only thing you have in common. They are for war. He's saying, I've been living here too long. There's no peace. There's only war. Woe is me. There's no peace here. I can't wait to go to church. Number three in your notes. Church is for distressed people. This comes from verse 1. He says, in my distress, I cried to the Lord and he heard me. Church is to be a place for people who are distressed. It means to have affliction, to have adversity, to have tribulation. In our context, it's just trouble. And if you're in trouble, you would say, I need to go to church. It says, in my distress, I cried to the Lord. This word cried, if you'd underline that in verse 1, it means to pray, literally. What is there for this man, this singer of this song, but to pray? This is the most serious of prayers. Prayer in which you cry. How many meager trials have you gone through and you have not prayed? You've only tried to solve them on your own and fix your own problems. But this condition is far worse than those. It's a distressed condition. You know that in this condition you're in now, the only help you can get would have to come from God. For surely you can't fix it and no one else can fix it. It is a condition that you get to when all you have left is prayer. It is a condition where all you have left is crying prayer. We said another way. Maybe it's a condition where you can't even pray, but you can just cry. And maybe you don't even cry to God. You're just crying before God. You hear people in a deep, dark time of suffering and deep anguish and pain, like distress that's mentioned here. And people will often say at that time, I could not even pray. I was so low, I was so distraught, I could not even pray. All they can do is cry out to God and say, Oh God, or woe is me before God. 
I want you to know, as a pastor, I have watched many people cry out like this to God. I have been in their homes, I have been in the hospitals, and I have been in places where I have seen many people make this cry to God. In my distress, I cry to the Lord. But look what he says in the end of verse 1. And he heard me. That's good news. And he hears you. He heard my voice. He hears you. I remember when we were going through cancer. I'll tell this story since Cindy's not here today. We were going through cancer. There was one particular night that I, I didn't think Cindy, I thought she might not make it. She was so weak at home, I was trying to get her to go to the doctor, and she wouldn't go. If you know her, you, you can understand. Until finally she couldn't move, and she couldn't get out of bed. And I lifted her body, carried her later in the back seat of my truck, and rushed her to the hospital. And I get there, and they're hooking her up to all these things, and they seated me at the foot of her bed while they're working on her, and they didn't turn the light on. I don't know why they didn't turn the light on, but it was about as dark as it is now. You could see, but it wasn't a bright light. And I'm sitting there, and they're working on her. And I really, for the first time in all her journey, thought she may not make it. And there at the foot of her bed, I could not pray. I did not pray. But I just sat there, and I began to cry to God. You say, what did you say? I don't know. I just, I was just broken before God. And I experienced a fullness of his presence like I've not known I'll not forget it for some days. An awareness of his presence that just let me know he heard my cry. You could hear that cry. He hears your cry. I remember one time when I, another time when I cried like this many years ago, I was a young pastor. And as a young pastor, when I would have the, the weight of the church on me, when I say that, I mean the weight of the people's cares and the people's burdens. I want to read to you a passage of scripture here that kind of puts this in context. If you give me just a second, Second Corinthians chapter eleven, Paul is talking about his suffering, which I cannot begin to <coughs> contend with. Paul mentioning how he suffered. Listen to what he says. He says, "I." I know I may sound like a fool, but I speak of my labors, how hard I work, and, and how my stripes, I've had many stripes of blood above measure. I've been in prison frequently, and I face death often. He says, for the Jews, I was five times beaten, 39 times. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was once stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night in the day I spent in the in the sea, that's after shipwreck. I was often on my journeys facing danger. I had dangers from water, dangers from robbers, danger in my, from my own countrymen, danger from the Gentiles or the heathen, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger in the sea, danger among false brethren. I was weary from my labors and my toil. I had sleeplessness often. Hunger and thirst often, fastings often, sometimes cold and nakedness. And besides all these things which come upon me daily, 
I also had my deep concern for the church. I believe what Paul's describing there is the weight of knowing the problems of the people of the church. I think that's what he's describing. I can't begin to describe it to you. I can't draw you a picture of it. I can't express it to you. But if you know a person who's a pastor, there is a weight upon them if they're called of God, if they're genuine in what they do. There is a weight upon them just simply by knowing the problems of all the people. Knowing the concerns of the marriages and the homes and the struggles and all the sins and all the things that are going on, there is a weight, a burden, a uh, a heaviness upon a, a true pastor of God from all these things. And that's what Paul is describing there. He's saying it's far above all these other things. And as a young pastor, when I would get this weight upon me, this heaviness upon me, I would go and spend the night, all night praying before God and asking God's help and begging God to do things. And I would literally stay up all night and ask God to do some things and Somehow I would feel better in the morning. There's this one instance when I had the load had gotten so heavy and the weight was so much more than I could carry out. I remember walking outside of my house and looking up to the heavens and I said, Lord, I can't take it anymore. And I planned on leaving from that moment and going and spending the night awake again in, in prayer. But I, I, I just walked outside, looked into heaven, and said, Lord, I can't take it anymore. And I walked back to the house, and I got into bed, and I slept like a baby. I remember having this, this great sleep that night. And as I look back in hindsight, I can say this. God heard my prayer that night. I didn't know it at the moment. But he gave me so much deliverance that night from all these, many of these burdens that I was facing. God hears you. We still live in an area where you can't get somebody on the phone half the time. Well, often you hear people discussing who's your carrier, who do you, who do you have, Verizon, US Cellular, you know, or those other junkies, I don't even know what they are. <laughs> if you're one of those, I don't even know, I don't even want to call you. Who, have you can you hear me? You're cutting out. Uh, my family, we're, we're big on if we can't hear you, click, we just hang up. You're going to have to try again later. We're not trying to go this you know, you're talking, you can't hear, you're shutting out, we'll just hang up. We'll try it again later. If somebody in my family's hung up on you, I'm sorry. <laughs> kind of the way we do things. We just hang up so you can get better service. God always hears you. He always hears you. There's a verse in the Bible that says, He does exceedingly abundantly above all that you would ask or think. We're talking about prayer. There's some things you pray for and you wonder, did God hear me? There's some things you don't even have the audacity to pray for that you might even think, well, it'd be nice if God, whatever, fill in the blank. And that verse says, God does exceedingly abundantly above all that you would ask or think. He does more than you ask. He does more than you even think. You ever had God answer a prayer that you just, you didn't even ask him, you just thought it? I have, any times. Church is a place where distressed people are going to come. And it is something that they have a prayer on their heart when they're in distress. And to know, they may not know it at that moment, but to know that God hears them is simply to have an awareness of God's presence. 
want you to think as you come to our church in the days ahead. I want you to be think, thinking of things like this, that people are coming here because they're distressed and they need to experience the presence of God because when you experience the presence of God, whether God says yes or God says no or God says wait, you in some sense know God heard me. God heard me when I made that cry. God hears you. Look what his distress is about. It tells us in verse 2 and 3. His distress is from lying people who have deceitful tongues. It says, deliver my soul, verse 2, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. Deliver me from these people. Look at verse 3. What shall be given to you or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? Have you ever been lied about? And here it doesn't just mention a lying tongue. It mentions a deceitful tongue. Verse 2, it says, the deceiving tongue. A deceitful person is a person who not only lies, but they're good at their lies. They have the power not only to tell a lie on you, but they have the power by deception to convince people that those lies are true. We would call that manipulation. And this kind of accuser, that's what they are, if they're lying about you and, and deceiving others about you, they're an accuser, which I remind you is what the word devil means. The devil is the greatest accuser of all time, and so they're following in the devil's footsteps. This kind of accuser, though, if they are manipulative, they are the worst kind. I, should, I could say it this way. They are the best at their job as anybody you would ever face. Have you ever faced a really good manipulator? You probably didn't even know it at the time. It's after the fact you just think, wow, I just got manipulated. There is somebody who not only lies, but they have the ability of deception and deceiving and convincing people with their manipulative skills that what they're saying is true when it is far from the truth. I want to speak to you about being lied on or, or, or accused of something. The Bible is very clear in these things. It says, first of all, you will be persecuted. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Yes, all who desire to live, a godly, live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It says in John chapter 15, 19 and 20, If you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. What's Jesus saying there to you, me? He's saying if they hate me, they'll hate you. That's what he's saying. You will be persecuted. But the Bible is also very clear in stating that the persecuted are blessed. Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 11 and 12, he says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. He tells you to do this. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. And so you're being lied about, and, and some people are saying deceptive things about you. Jesus says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. <laughs> that's, that's good, isn't it? For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's saying, you're in good company. You're in the company of the prophets. 
You're going to have a great reward in heaven, so rejoice and be exceedingly glad if people are lying about you and saying deceptive things about you. In five of your notes, God takes these matters into his own hands. We see this in verse 3 and 4. He says, What shall be given to you, or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? And then verse 4, it says, Sharp hours of the warrior with coals from the green tree. I want you to mark out beside verse 4, it's kind of the margin of the Bible, that this is what God will do. This is God's work. These sharp arrows of the warrior, the warrior is God here. The coals from the broom tree, this is the, the work of God. These are words in verse 4 about what God will do. Now you could confuse this, verse 4, and you could think that it has something to do with the danger of the lies and the deceit that's coming against you and that the sharp arrows are for you and the coals are for you. And you can make this confusion because there are verses in the Bible that compare the tongue of man to something that is sharp. And there are verses in the Bible that compare the tongue of man to a, to a great fire or a burning. But these words are not directed back at you. These words are directed at the one has, who has accused you. And when it says that they are sharp arrows of the warrior, that word warrior is a reference to God himself. These words in verse 4 are words about how God will repay the one who has come against you. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21 and 22, it says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. That statement, coals of fire on his head, he says, If you give water and bread to the guy who's your enemy, you're putting hot coals of fire, burning hot coals on his head, and the Lord rewards you. I think those verses from Proverbs can, can line up with this verse 4 in our song here, where it says the coals of the broom tree. The broom tree was a small bush known to have a great burning ability. I have a picture here of uh, something called lighted wood. How many of you know what lighted wood is? Raise your hand. All right. Only a few. I actually didn't know what lighted wood was until I moved to Lewisburg. I don't remember who taught me about it. It may have been Harold Parker. I don't know. But lighted wood is the, the root of a pine tree that's been buried in the ground for many years. And usually the trees rotted and fell over or been cut down. But that root that's down deep in the ground has sat there for years, and all the sap, all the pine rosin, if you will, from that tree has settled down in that root, and the wood gets really, really hard, but because all that rosin is in there, it's highly flammable. You can take a little splinter of a piece of lighter wood uh, like this, and you can strike a match, and you can just light it in just seconds, and it'll, it'll, it'll burn if you've not seen it, if you've not experienced this, it'll just burn. It's a great fire starter, a charcoal starter for your grill. I need some if anybody has it. I'm begging. Okay. I used to have plenty of it, and I probably have some on my farm if I just get out there and dig around and look for some, but you would usually cut it into little splinters like that. And it's, it's heavy, and it's hard, and it's filled with rosin, and it's extremely flammable. This would be a comparison to the 
broom tree in verse 4, if you look at it, with the coals of the broom tree. Its branches were known to burn, its roots were known to burn, and they were known to burn with intense heat. It was a source of heat, it was a great fire starter, and it would have even been used for charcoal during Bible times. Now go back with me to Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21 and 22. You can give me that slide so everybody can see it. He says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head. If you take that in context with verse 4 here of the coals of the broom tree, what he's literally saying is when you see your enemy and you give him food and give him drink, what you're doing in so doing that is you're allowing God to take the matter into his hands. You're saying, God, I entrust to you what will happen to this man. And, and the heaping of coals of fire on his head, it says in the proverb, it's as if you're doing that, but it's not you who's actually doing it. It's God who's doing it. God is causing a burning fire upon this accuser's head. And, and what are these references to burning fire and a sharp arrow, but references to the tongue? And Proverbs often refers to how that when a man sets a trap, he will fall into it. And when a man does a thing, it will fall or come back upon him. And so what he's saying here in verse 4 of our text is he's saying, the same way he has lied about you and accused you, God is going to do something in his life that is very sharp, like arrows, and it's going to be like a burning coal of fire upon his head. But this time it's not you who's doing it, it's God who's doing it. So that's the next point. God is stronger than you. We learned this in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, when we went through the book of Romans. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And I've told you this many times, but it's, it's like a balance. It's one of those scriptures, again, that shows you a balance. And it says on the one, time you can re- one side, you can repay them, or on the other side, you can let God repay them. But you won't get both. You can't repay them and God repay them. He says, if you will not repay them, I will repay them and vengeance will be mine, says the Lord. And so if you just say, Lord, I take my hands away from them, I'm going to just give them food and drink. I'm going to love them. I'm going to take my hands off of them. Then God says, I will repay them. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 says, Since it is a righteous thing with God, to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. In other words, it is where God shows his righteousness, how right he is when he repays people who have troubled you. You could say it like this, in context of verse 4, the sharp arrows of the warrior. You need to know this. God's arrows are sharper than yours. The hot coals of the broom tree, you need to know this. God's coals are hotter than yours. His vengeance is sharper sharper and harder than yours is. And so leave it to the hand of the Lord. I have three points of application. Number one, the church is to be a place where there is no lying lips or deceitful tongues. 
Notice in this song, he's filled with distress. He's crying out to the Lord. He says, woe is me. I'm too far from church. Why? Because they, they hate peace and they are for war. And so because he's in a place where they hate peace and they're for war, where does he want to go? He wants to go to church. It's a song they're singing on the way to church. And oh, how grievous it is. So many of our churches are filled with war and have a hatred for peace, it seems. Many have come here who have been hurt by the church. And they, their hearts were broken by the church and they were slow to get back into the church because they have a fear of getting hurt again. For too long, the church in the United States has been a place where it does not have peace. And it seems to have war. And I think that's the devil's attempts. By God's grace, grace, and I give all the credit to God, and I certainly cannot give it to any one of you or to myself. God has given my house to be a place of peace. Amen? Amen. It's one of the sweetest blessings we may know. It's been a mark to this day upon our church. And it is by the hand of God. It is something we must maintain. It is to be a place where there is no accusation and no lying tongues received so that there will be peace and a lack of war. Don't we see what others say, somebody says, in the church? You must hear it for yourself. Ronnie and I have been serving together for over 30 years now, and it's one of the marks of our relationship, no matter what he hears somebody say I said or I did, or no matter what I hear somebody say he said or he did, we only take what we hear each other say to do. Not something from someone else. It's what maintains the peace and keeps the place from becoming a place of war. But you know this as well as I do. The church has been a seems like a seedbed to grow and build some mighty accusers, hasn't it? It's not a new thing. It went out all the way back to the days of Jesus. The greatest accusers of the days of Jesus were who? They were the religious people. The people from the church. Those were the ones, the ones with religions. Those were the ones who accused Jesus of <laughs> blasphemy in that day. It was the church people who stood there on that day and shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him as they accuse Jesus of being false. I want to remind you today that the church is to be a place where there are no lying lips and no deceitful tongues because there are people who want to come here, who are going to come here in the next few years, who are distressed and they're crying out to the Lord even as they come across that parking lot. I stood here one day as one young lady came from her car to our church. She was coming for the first time into our church and I watched her get out of her car and shut her door and begin to cry. Just a few weeks ago. And she seemed to cry all the way from her car to the door and she was wiping her tears as she walked in the door. I pray that God would give you all eyes to see that that is what is happening many times when somebody comes here. Not just a new person, but sometimes somebody who's been here for years. Sometimes it might even be me. People who are distressed are beyond the point of even praying where all they can do is cry before God. They're coming to the church to say, I'm here, Lord. I want to worship you and experience you and be with you like never before. It's been far too long since I've been to church. 
Number two, church is to be a place of peace. It's to be a place of peace. I don't want you to miss in this short song that there's a change that takes place among the singer. Don't miss the change that takes place. Look at verse 1. He says, In my distress I cried to the Lord and He heard me. Look at verse 7. I am for peace. And literally what verse 7 says is, I have found peace. This singer, this song, he goes from deep distress where he's crying to God to a place of peace. There's a transition that happens. In verse 2, he's crying out to God and he's saying, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and deceitful tongues. In verse 4, he's declaring the vengeance of God that's going to come with arrows sharper than his and coals hotter than his. You see the transition that happens midway between verse 3 and 4 as he stopped being so focused over himself and his own problems and he's turned his eyes on the living God and what God can do. There's a worship thing that begins to happen here. It's a flip. He walks in so distressed and broken and midway through the song he flips over and begins to praise and shout and glorify the Lord. Don't miss that change. It was as if on his way up to, remember they're singing this, on their way up to the church, on their way up the mountain, it's as if as he's walking those hard steps up that mountain, that there's a going up that's taking place as you go to church. And there's a going up that's taking place as he's singing this song. My family has, has a long time running a joke in our home that the one thing that everybody will lie to us about is going to church. If you meet a stranger and you say, where do you go to church? They'll name some church. I've had this happen so many times. And then you meet the pastor and you know, and you say, uh, I heard so-and-so come to your church. He goes, who? <laughs> he, he doesn't even know who they are. They may have went one time ten years ago and they said, that's why I go, I go to that church. Or how many people will you see today in the grocery store in Walmart and they'll say, oh, I'm, I've been meaning to come to the lighthouse. I'll see you next Sunday. I'm going to come to your church. And guess what? Next Sunday. Most of those people who tell you that, they won't come. And so it's kind of been this joke in our family. We, we tell jokes about it. We laugh about it. Somebody says, I'm coming to church. And, you know, when the kids were little, we'd be all excited. And the kids are running around. So-and-so's coming to church on Sunday. And then Sunday we come. And they didn't come. The per person who told us they'd come, they didn't come. So we begin to laugh about it so you don't cry about it. That's how you handle it, right? And so we're uh, just making this joke about how people can lie to you and say that they're not coming to church. Yeah, sure you are. And so much is this the case that one of my adult children now, I would call uh, the name, I'll try not to say if it's a him or a her, but recently was in Walmart and uh, the lady there said, I'm going to come to, I'm gonna come to Lighthouse. I'll, I'll, I'm going to come to see you at church next week. And she actually, uh, I said it, didn't <laughs> Well, sorry. One of my daughters, she actually laughed out loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> she laughed at her in her face uh, because it, it's become such an ongoing lie I'm coming to church I want you to see what's happening in Psalms 120 when this change is happening the guy in Psalms 120 hasn't got to church yet he's just singing the song on the way to church and it has the power to change his life you say what are you saying I'm saying this get it straight People can just think about coming to church and God can do a work in their life. They can just think about it.
They can just tell you, even though it's a lie, I'm going to come to church next Sunday. But if in that moment there's a sincere intention that they would come next Sunday, God can do a work in it. You say, what is happening there? What's the power in that? Because there's some shift that's taking place where they're taking their eyes off themselves and putting their eyes on God. And that's where the power of God is in our lives. Of course, if, if we can state that it helps somebody just to think about going to church, Certainly, it's much better if they actually show up. There's a power, powerful thing that happens to somebody that goes to the house of the living God. It's not about you and me. It's not about the name of our sign or the name of our church or any other church. It's just something about going to the place known as God's house. We just thought about going to church and sung this song about going to church and in verse 1 he went from distress to verse 7 to peace. He went from looking at himself to looking at God. He went from being as if he's dwelling in Meshach and Kedar having the sense of being in the church once again. And so he went from being helpless to being hopeful. He now has hope in what God's going to do. His circumstances haven't changed. People are still lying and deceiving about him. But now his eyes are on God. And he has hope. Number three. What does the distressed person need but to know that God is for you? This song is about a distressed person. It's this first hymn in this songbook of songs they would sing on their way to church. And it's about a person who's broken in distress, who can only cry out to God. And so what does that person need? They need one thing. They need to know that God is for you. Have you heard of the Bible app, the version Bible app? How many of you heard of that Bible app? And some of you hopefully have it. Just go over some things with that version app with you today. That, that Bible app just recently had its 15th year anniversary. When the Apple Store came out in 2008, there were 200 free apps available at its initial opening. This version Bible app was one of those first 200 free apps. Imagine that. It was downloaded more than 83,000 times over the first weekend, surpassing their yearly goal in three days. The version Bible app has been installed on more than 575 million devices in the last 15 years. Their records show that for every minute of the day, in other words, every minute that passes in a day, there are 95 new installs of their app, 1,070 verses are shared by their app with other people, 3,200 Highlights or bookmarks are made in their app of verses every minute of the day, of every day. The app is now in over 2,000 languages. And of all these millions of downloads, in all these languages, in all these installs, there's one verse that's been looked at more than any other. If you were to guess, you would certainly guess a New Testament verse, wouldn't you? But it's not. 
It's an Old Testament verse. It's Isaiah 41.10. We got it with you. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing. And those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them, those who contended with you. Those who war against you shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For every person who's here today who's distressed, and for every person who's going to come to our church in the days ahead who are distressed, there's one thing they need to know. This Bible app has proven it. They need to know that God is for them. When everything is falling apart and it's something that you, you're in some kind of trouble that you cannot fix, you can't even pray about it, all you can do is cry about it. Your distress is so heavy, all you can do is cry out to God, and even your cry to God, it seems somewhat selfish. He says, woe is me. That's all he's crying. Then you need to know in that moment, in that depth of despair, in that depth of distress, is that God is for you. So Isaiah 41.10 being the most viewed is not surprising. Let's look at the first part of it again. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You gain one thing from coming to God's house today. I hope it is this. You know God is for you and God is with you and he is not against you. Let's pray. Father, I pray for that one here today who is most distressed, who is so in need of this affirmation from your word that you are for them. I pray right now they would have an overwhelming awareness of your presence that would just declare to them with, with the Spirit's power, Lord, that you have heard their cry. Maybe right now they can't even think straight, they can't even pray straight. All they can do is just tears would fill their eyes or tears would run down their cheek or there is a brokenness of their heart or a lump in their throat. Lord, in these moments, I pray that you would convince them of this one thing, that your presence is there with them. And with the cry of your presence so loud, louder than a voice, the awareness of your presence louder than a voice right now in their life, Lord, I pray that they would be aware of this, this thing. You have heard their cry. And because you have heard their cry, you are with them. You will not leave them. You are for them. And they have no reason to fear. Cast all fear away, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. And that peace would come on. Let peace settle their heart, Lord. Dispel all that distress. Send, send it away. And let 
peace flood their soul, Lord. Lord, I pray that this song would be a model. Would you pray with me now? Lord, I pray, we pray that this song would be a model of our church services. That people who come here distressed would leave here with the peace of God, knowing, Lord, that you are for them and not against them. Let it be so, Lord, for everyone, young and old, that comes here distressed. Father, if you would do that, this would be a good church. This would be a good church, Lord. I pray that be the case. For the glory of God. And in the name of Jesus, let it be so, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.